You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Oh, hey, guys, this is Joe Sinnott uh, speaking for the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Captain America, Episode 2A, covering a period of Captain America from 1968, uh, the beginning of 1969. Uh, I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Drew Rivers, your Silver Age Captain America host. And today we're going to be going through the second Captain America epic collection. It's called The Coming of the Falcon. We're only going to talk about the first half in this episode, and next week we'll talk about the second half. So even though this one's called The Coming of the Falcon, we are actually not talking about the Falcon at all in this episode. But that doesn't mean that we have nothing to talk about. Boy, there are some really great issues here from Stanley and Jack Kirby. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think I think both halves of these of this book are are definitely loaded um, in in different ways. And the first half here is just absolutely full of uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby goodness. So. Yeah, and this I really feel like Jack Kirby is he's really firing on all cylinders. This is kind of like the 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 peak of jack kirby i i hate to say the peak of his career because you know he had so many great different eras throughout his entire career so but this this is especially good especially good stuff like he his his drawing his staging his composition the way he lays out his panels the way he tells his storyline they're all he's all at the top form right here in these these stories yeah and i think i think um every issue in this first half here is just absolutely packed with kind of seminal captain america moments and villains and we kind of see I, I don't know if i'd call this peak silver age captain america but it's pretty close i mean you have all of the pieces here that we're familiar with today this is kind of where the book has uh definitely hit its stride mm-hmm. yeah i remember in the last episode when we were talking about the first epic collection it's like the stories were formulaic and we had a lack of interesting villains and mm-hmm. kirby was still kind of finding his way i think and maybe stan as well at the same time but uh, this one yeah like you said just it, it's fully formed he, they've they've hit their stride they know what they're doing these the stories are engaging some of it's a little bit formulaic still but i think that's just kind of the nature of comics in this era in general yeah they kind of um in a lot of ways move past the uh you know the spy stuff that was popular in the 60s like the james bond kind of stuff it's still there a lot of the shield stuff is still there but um you really get a better sense of uh, captain america and his uh rogues gallery here and there's some great cameos too from from other heroes yeah and this is also the period where captain america gets his own book because up until this point he was sharing a title called tales of suspense with iron man and that goes up until issue number 99 and then for issue issue number 100 they decided to split the book and so captain america they just retitle it captain america number 100 and then iron man goes off into his own iron man number one and this was a result of uh, marvel's distribution deal they uh 
they switched distributors and, and they were allowed to distribute more titles per month because the previous distributor, who was actually the company that owned DC Comics, put a cap on, a cap, get it, a cap <laughs> on how many titles they could publish a month, which is why all of our heroes were doubled up in books like Tales of Suspense. Yeah, so you start getting those twenty-page stories instead of the you know the eleven-page stories, and it really really gives the uh, really gives Captain America some room to breathe in the last um, last half of this episode, at least. Yeah, and that does a couple of things. The first thing it does is allows Kirby to use much bigger panels because when you're only restricted to you know ten-page stories and you're trying to cram a ton of information in there, the way to do that is make your panels smaller so that you can show sequences more sequences of events and but once we get into the 20 page stories we get four panel pages three panel pages we get splash pages we get double page spreads like kirby starts doing way more um, creative and innovative stuff just because he has the room to do it and so this is a great thing uh, splitting these titles up yeah, I think I, I think um, giving him that room, giving you know twice the pages essentially, and, and you still have the obviously the first few issues we'll talk about here. You still have the first page uh, kind of intro splash page to to grab your attention there. But yeah, like you said, the uh, there's some really great, and we'll get into it later, obviously. But there's some really great um, tech scenes and base, you know, enemy bases and stuff like that. Where oh, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if Kirby liked drawing those things, but based on, or if he was just given those to write, you know, in the story. But based on how well he uh, explodes them and details them, I, I feel like he <laughs> had a lot of fun with those. I hope so because he sure does it a lot. You would think that uh, if he didn't enjoy it, he would skimp on some of those details. I tell you, it's probably hard to be an inker or an embellisher for Jack Kirby because of all of that tech and that gear. It's just, so yeah, yeah. And Kirby Kirby tech is kind of its own, uh, I wouldn't say subgenre, but it's kind of its own uh, thing at this point. And really you know, is, it's yep. certainly, certainly lasting through in the Marvel universe and, and comics in general. So yeah. it's great to see some of the uh, the classic stuff here. Well, let's talk about some of the story. Uh, what if, if readers are picking up this volume having not read Captain America Volume 1, what are the things that they need to know? Is there any any plot points or ongoing stories that are carried over here? Uh, no, not really. In, in true uh, true classic comics fashion, um, you, you could pick up any issue here and be pretty much uh, caught up. Uh, Captain America or Steve Rogers is pursuing or infatuated with Agent 13, who we'll find out more about um, in these issues here. Here. Um, but yeah, most of these issues are a good starting point. And there, there are some story arcs that carry over, but um, in terms of in terms of the character, you can pretty much find out everything you need to know right away. I think that is also sort of a, a result of uh, the the longer form storytelling that we get with Captain America 100. Because if you have, again, if you have the 10 page stories and you're trying to cram an A story and a B story in there, it's like there's, there's not a whole lot of room to breathe. But once you have 20 pages to work with, then yeah, you can have some underlying uh, subtextual stories or, or B stories that are carried through over multiple issues. And that's what we start to see here for sure. 
Uh, I don't have any listener comments today because, quite frankly, I forgot to post on social media asking for them. So I did that today, and we will have them for you next week in the next week's episode. Uh, but you can, if you want to leave a comment, then you can find the posts that have the uh, the cover to this epic collection asking for comments, and then I'll read them on the next episode. Just before we start, I want to say that this episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors. You can use um, the code EpicMarvelPodcast to uh, save yourself 10% on any epic collections that you buy. Just use that code in your shopping cart. And uh, for the month of December, you can save 15% on Generation X uh, Epic Collection Volume one with that code so more power to you go for it okay issue number 97 tales of suspense number 97 this is the captain america segment and it's called and so it begins with a with a nice little line that says reintroducing the black panther this is actually black panther's second appearance i believe his first appearance being in the pages of Fantastic Four, but he made uh, an impact over in that title and they wanted to bring him back. So they thought, well, why not do it in Captain America? Uh, In this story, after a run-in with some thugs, Captain America is summoned to Wakanda via a a high-tech ship that the Black Panther sent to New York to pick him up. And like we said, this is only these are only 10-page stories, so not a whole lot happens. In fact, half of this story is Captain America fighting with these thugs uh, and, and, and Black Panther, a couple of pages of Black Panther fighting with some thugs. And we only really get to the meat of the issue in the last couple of pages. Mm-hmm. Nothing really, really happens, but this is all set up because this is actually going to be a multi-part story going through the next few issues. Yeah, it seems like, like you said, there's there's a few fights. Um, we get reintroduced to Black Panther, as the title said there, and uh, just all set up to get Captain America on on the ship out to uh, out to Wakanda. We also get to see Agent Thirteen. She is going to uh, go undercover uh, as a scientist. And a German scientist, and we're going to see what happens to her in the next issue. Uh, but I, I like this right now because what it does is, of course, is reintroducing Black Panther. So we need to know kind of the basics of who this guy is. It's clear that he's a ruler of the country. It's clear that he's an excellent fighter because he takes out these guys in white and purple. And it's also clear that he is very rich and technologically savvy because he has this kind of futuristic technology. Um, however, uh, the <laughs> I find it funny that you know Captain America gets into the cockpit of this ship, and there's just a little keyboard with nine buttons that have letters <laughs> on them, and it's like you push the S for soar because you, the ship is going to soar away. <laughs> it's like that's that's not the letter or the word I would use to you know to say go. <laughs> Especially when there's a G right there next yeah, right. to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I guess uh, it's they 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 do it so that not everybody can take off. <laughs> They'll just push random buttons and yeah, get it's anywhere. a security Wakanda uh, security feature on the ship there. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's a fun issue. I mean, they do they do quite a lot of uh, telling, not showing, you know, to kind of reestablish Black Panther and. Um, the, the one line I liked was uh, Captain America saying, well, when a man when a man such as this speaks, other men listen. And, you know, <laughs> that's something that's it's hard to convey in, in comics or in text. Um, 
that that gravitas that we of course know Black Panther has, but yeah. they really they really do try and set him up here as someone to be respected. Totally, yeah, and I like how that plays out in the next few issues as well. Uh, one comment that I had is that uh, on page ten of the Epic Collection, this is on page six of the story. There's a scene where Captain America is getting checked out by the Doctor because he was just in this fight. He got kind of beat up, and the Doctor says, "I've never checked anyone in such superb physical condition." And at this time, Captain America, while they call him a super soldier, he doesn't really have superhuman strength. He is just the most fit person on the planet. The peak human condition, yeah. Peak human condition, like Olympic level athlete kind of a kind of a deal. And that's going to change by the end of the first half of this book once we get to an origin story a little later. Uh, but that is kind of how they're treating Captain America right now. He's not Superman. He doesn't, like, he can... He knows how to throw people because of, you know, judo training or whatever, but he can't just pick them up and hurl them into the sun or whatever, uh, which is something that I think Captain America, well, not into the sun, that's that's an exaggeration, but, you know, Captain America will later on definitely have superhuman strength and can, like, run <clears throat> faster than the normal person and that kind of thing. And he does have some uh, some nice pining on the couch there um, over Agent Thirteen. He, <laughs> yeah, he's still he's still pretty much unaware of who she is. He just he just knows she looks familiar, um, like his long lost love, as he says. Man, there's going to be so much pining <laughs> through these issues. <laughs> <laughs> there is, and and you know, I think I think that's always been a struggle with Captain America um, throughout his history. Really, is uh, what to do with Steve Rogers, um, hmm. and you know, especially. Yeah, it seems like he's gone through quite a bit of career changes and, um, you know, they pretty much make him date someone now and then. But he doesn't have that quite like that hook uh, of uh, a Peter Parker or something other than other than Bucky. You know, Bucky is kind of the, the hook that he has on a personal level. Um, yeah. And so I think when it comes to his love life, it's always been a little bit of a, a struggle. He doesn't even really have a supporting cast. Like even through the years, I think like during Grunewald's when he when he was living in that apartment he had a, a few people that he was in contact with and such but he's always been kind of the loner character because he's this guy out of time and uh, and yeah like you said yeah he, they they make him date someone every once in a while but that never sticks yeah, and it, it fits. Um, I, I think I think that he's probably overall less less compelling as a character because of that. If you look at some of the bigger Marvel stars, um, but I think I think that's why they fill in the supporting cast or the the featured cast here with you know Black Panther and obviously Nick Fury is in most of these issues as well. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah, Nick Fury and Agent Thirteen are kind of his supporting cast at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to issue number 98. Uh, yeah, Tales of Suspense 98 is titled The Claws of the Panther. Um, and so Cap is on his way to Wakanda um, and ends up fighting Black Panther, uh, where they then agree to team up. They're told of a destructive satellite weapon and get captured by Baron Zemo. And uh, in the meantime, Agent 13 begins a nearby mission, coincidentally, and, uh, and joins Zemo's group as a spy. Okay, so this giant weapon in the sky, it's basically 
a giant magnifying glass. Because mm-hmm. you know when kids would take the magnifying glass and get the beam of light and, and burn ants in the ground? That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what Zemo's doing to the people of Earth here. <laughs> so, that's all it is. Yeah, it says it can wipe out any area on Earth with a single withering solar blast. And it, it kind of it kind of looks like a, a jaw almost. There's like mm-hmm. a mirror inside of it on page uh, 21 of the Epic Collection. And it, it's kind of got horns and, and things hanging off of it and uh it's a great and I, it is the I, I like the extra planetoids or or spots or whatever you want to call them in, in the background there it kind of adds you know obviously the kirby dots are oh yeah they're up top a little bit but uh yeah it's a cool design it's definitely definitely menacing uh, the cover of this one, it just says Cap versus the Panther. And there was a period around this time, I can't remember exactly when, where the, they were trying to distance themselves from calling Black Panther Black Panther because of the um, political party that was kind of gaining some momentum mm-hmm. at the time. And so they and they briefly changed his name to something. What was it? Black, it was like Black Jaguar or something like that. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> but it was like it lasted for two issues. Might have been in the pages of Avengers. And then they went back to Black Panther. Yeah, I think, I think in that period, I mean, obviously... We'll see some of um, some current events stuff, and we saw a little bit in the last volume. Uh, with the, I, I know there's some hippies and some protests and stuff, and Captain America is always kind of touching on that. But yeah, I think Marvel was always a little uh, afraid of the association, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you know, especially in the '60s here, with all the the violence going on in '68 and '69. Mm-hmm. Now we see Zemo at the end of this issue, and he is a character that uh, has been uh, that we saw through the the other issues or the other volume. Uh, notable because he is the one who killed Bucky Barnes in World War II, which we found out in Volume 1. And so Captain America is going to face off against Zemo, and it's very, very personal for him. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as we've seen in these issues, there's there's constant throwbacks and constant uh, references to Bucky and the loss. And it's really it's really the main thing driving Captain America at this point. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's it's haunting him, essentially. And we, we see that in this book, too. Um, and the, the shocked face on the last page here. Um, yeah. You know, it really kind of says it all. He's no, it can't be it can't, not him, not him. You know, it's it's we don't we don't really see that reaction from from heroes in general, but that's less Captain America. All of the Bucky stuff that happens in these issues is build up. And I don't know if Stan had this big plan overall, but it's build up to the second half of this book when we get to the issues by Sterenko. And I don't know if the term PTSD was actually a, a thing in the 60s or if that's a more recent diagnosis. Uh, but Cap definitely suffers from that here with <clears throat> because, you know, he's pulled out of, I can't even imagine something as traumatic as, you know, being in World War II. And then on top of that, your partner dies. And then on top of that, you wake up and you're 20 years in the future. <laughs> it's like, whoa. So he he definitely suffers from that. And he it's something that he's going to struggle with through all of these issues that we're going to see here, uh, dealing with his own his own uh, nightmares and his own trauma. And all the villains know it, too. They all they all take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, we'll see Dr. Uh, Faustus later in the book here. But they all know it. They all uh, are able to exploit that weakness of his. Which is a truly like that's that's a villain, more of a villain than a villain that robs banks, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it really is effective. It makes these villains, even Dr. Faustus, who's kind of a one time not great villain, it makes him way more menacing than, you know, the living laser. <laughs> we'll also see it in <laughs> yeah. this book or the trapster. 
Uh, okay, Tales of Suspense, number 99, The Man Who Lived Twice. Uh, of course, that's a reference, I think, to um, Baron Zemo. But uh, uh, Cap and Panther have fallen into a hole, and when they reach the top of the hole, they are faced with Zemo. And this issue is the one where they try to stop Zemo from using the ray, but they end up failing. Uh, this is a great, great uh, classic situation that we have at the end here, where Agent 13, who is in disguise, she's undercover, working for Zemo. Zemo says, you must prove your loyalty by shooting Captain America. What's she going to do. She's placed in this terribly awkward situation because she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. She should do what she needs to do for the mission, but she also loves Captain America. So, uh, and I love that. I think that, that that's the high stakes kind of drama that I love. It's why I think Squid Games is so popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's a heck of a cliffhanger here. Um, you know, the the heroes, not not just Cap, but uh, Black Panther subdued as well. And, uh, and it's... You know, it, obviously it's coincidental that she's there, <laughs> but it, it works really well. And and Captain America, you can tell, is just, I, I don't know, just the, the anguish here on her face and then him laying on the ground. It's quite quite the image. And I, I also love the threat here. You have quite a few shots of the... Uh, the hypothetical laser gun shooting and destroying uh, uh, the the U.S. You know, they're yeah. Baron Zemo kind of talking over what would happen if if he actually gets away with all of this. You've got skyscrapers crumbling, and yeah. What I really like about the way Captain America and Black Panther work together is is that they really this is the first time that they've met, but they instinctively know how to work together as a team. And they are both of these characters, while they are commanding and know how to lead, they also don't have an ego. So they are willing to work with each other and let each other take the lead when they need to. Like it's there's some really, really even though they don't succeed in their in the, in stopping the Zemo from firing the, the beam, um, they still work really well together. And we're going to see that, especially in the next issue, even more. Uh, they, I, I really like the interplay between the two of them. Yeah, and they both, uh, you know, Zemo even acknowledges their their courage and their unwillingness to give up, even though they're basically defeated at that point. Yeah. Um, they both they both will fight to the very end. And that ends our our tales of suspense uh, issues. We're going to move on to issue number one hundred of Captain America. Yeah, so Captain America 100. Um, we we end on quite the cliffhanger in the last issue, and this one does not uh, acknowledge it at all. At first, um, we get a uh, a retelling of uh, of the origin, and it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but we've had um, we've had this before. But it's it's nice to see a few pages here dedicated in the in you know kind of a flashback or hallucination or whatever you want to call it but it's a nice it's a nice way or a nice conceit for stan and jack to bring in some new readers uh and and tie it into the current story as well oh definitely it's, it's important i think to have these two because if they're they they tout it very plainly on the cover big premiere issue like this is mm -hmm. a big deal he's got his own book uh, so yeah, if anyone is picking it up for the first time, this origin story is uh, is important to have, and I like how they segue it between uh, you know the, the the flashback and the story, the, the the present day story where Captain America was just kind of he was unconscious and was having a, a flashback. Although, how can Captain America have the flashback of the scenes of Namor, uh, you know, with the <laughs> the Inuit people <laughs> because he was frozen in ice, he wouldn't have actually seen that. Um and. Uh... Uh, and we like like we were saying it's it's uh, 20 pages now so they have the extra room to do this um to you know kind of have fun with that yeah uh, 
And so continuing on the, the main story here, um, Agent 13 chooses to miss her, her shot on purpose and instead goes after Zemo. Cap and, and Panther and Agent 13 start to uh, begin their escape, and they end up fighting a robot bodyguard called the Destruction. They end up revealing Zemo to be an imposter, and uh, all of his goons stand down after that. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. comes in uh, to help save the day, and the Death Ray satellite ends up being brought down. Yay. So I think <laughs> being the very first long format uh, issue, there's actually a lot of filler in here. It's like they spend a lot of... It's mostly big big fights, which is fine because Kirby is just explosive when it comes to this kind of stuff. And there is some fantastic art of, of you know, Cap and, and Black Panther making good work, fast work of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like there's the, the big fight with all of the purple and white guys. And then there's the fight with the... the dis- what do you call them? What do you call them? The Destroyer? The destruction. Uh, the destruction. Yeah, yeah. the destruction. <laughs> um, and but uh, yeah, but but through the whole thing, very exciting and a good conclusion to this story. That's been uh, four issues now, so that's quite something. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a the destruction is kind of interesting. He's, he looks like you know a prototypical Kirby android or robot yeah. um, who who talks too much. Uh, you know, as he gets his butt kicked and yeah it's just a good fight i i i like the the reveal of zemo and and you know the turn by all his men after he's uh exposed there <laughs> yeah totally yeah he what he's an imposter well he's not gonna pay us so i guess we're out of here <laughs> there goes nothing yeah and then yeah the, the very end you know, seeing panther acknowledge the avengers and steve kind of inviting him to join the team and which which i don't know have you talked about that issue yet in avengers uh on the show where where black panther joins uh, no, not yet. But yeah, he comes, I think it's like the next month mm-hmm. in the comics that he, oh yeah, maybe we have talked about that. I can't remember. He, yeah, he ends up replacing uh, Captain America. Yeah, right. And yeah, yeah they, they reference this issue in that in that one where he joins team. Um, in terms of the, the art here, I, th- I think you have a better eye for, for that thing than I do. Uh, I know... From what I understand, Sid Shores isn't really the most popular inker of Kirby's work. Uh, what is your opinion on him? Well, I actually like a lot of the stuff Sid Shores does here. Now, I think it's an important distinction to know that Sid Shores is credited as embellisher here, which means that he wasn't just inking Stan's pencils. He was actually filling in a lot of the details. Oh, okay. And so, like, Kirby was working on a few books at, at the same time. So he's putting a lot of effort into things like Fantastic Four and not as much time into something like this or, you know, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which he was doing around this time as well. And I can't remember what else. I think maybe was he still on Ant Man at the time, or or the uh, Hulk? He might have been. Yeah, he was on a. He was doing a ton of stuff. But anyway, yeah, Sid Shores. He's got an interesting style because I think when we think about Kirby, we think big, blocky, lots of uh, thick lines and thick shadows. And while Sid Shores does some of this, he also adds a lot more kind of the um, feathering kind of a lines lines. The nuance, to, yeah. Yeah, the nuance. If you go to the first, not the first page, the second page of this book here is page 43 of uh, the Epic Collection. It's the third page of the story of, of this issue. And you look at the bottom panel of Steve Rogers, and he's saying, it's too late, it's too late. You see this panel here? Mm-hmm. And you can see, um, you know, the lines on his nose 
or the lines on his cheekbones. Uh, just the fact that there are multiple lines there is something that Kirby doesn't usually do. He'll, he usually fills in his shadows a lot thicker. So um, I don't have the book on me, but I'd be interested to compare this panel to the panel that he draws in Avengers number four to see the different inking style and how that inker interprets Kirby's lines. Yeah. I mean, even comparing it to the earlier issues here with uh, with Joe Sinnott on inks, um, I mean, yeah, Captain America, just looking at his nose, like on page 10 of the Epic Collection here, there's, you know, three or four lines making up his entire nose and, and the mouth is much simpler and there's definitely a lot... Uh, a lot more uh, ink work here, lines done on on uh, by Sid Shores. Yeah, I, I didn't know that about the embellisher title. I kind of chalked that up to you know sometimes Marvel uh, or Stan Lee will kind of you know say the the amazing Jack Kirby or whatever, and I kind of thought <laughs> well embellished is a colorful way to to name an inker, but yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't aware yeah. there was a distinction there. There actually is a purpose, and I don't know if they get paid more or or something for being an embellisher, but yeah, so Sid Shores actually had more work to do than. Then, you know, Joe Sinnott, I, let's see if Sinnott is credited as inker or if he's credited as embellisher. Embellished by Joe Sinnott. So he was also embellishing here. Uh, Sinnott and Kirby, of course, are kind of the famous Fantastic Four combo. Mm -hmm. That's why we know that's why we have Kirby's style the way it is, I think, in our, in, so ingrained in our minds, is because of the work that Joe Sinnott did uh, over Kirby's pencils. And later on, when Mike Royer would become Kirby's regular inker, he would use a lot of Joe Sinnott's um, style and um, and uh, techniques over Kirby. So yeah, well, Sid Shores is going to be the regular inker for mo for the for the rest of these issues, except for one or two. And when we get to those issues where it's different. Different embellishers or different inkers. I'll, I'll point out some of the differences because it is quite interesting to look at in that sense. Uh, do you think so? This is obviously a landmark issue, and Marvel Marvel was aware of that. You know, yep. calling it the big premiere issue and everything. I just find it interesting that um, you know in today's comics, I, I don't think I don't think either of the the big two companies would have Jack Kirby kind of be rushed on on a big issue like this. I think they would probably let him take his time and, and do whatever he wants to without having someone be an embellisher, so to speak. But this this is obviously you know coming out every month and they have deadlines and everything. But yeah, well, and the other thing is that uh, like we say, Kirby is working on multiple books. Mm -hmm. So if yeah, I guess they would have had to like take him off of uh, off of another title for a month, or maybe he was only doing breakdowns for a different title so that he could do full pencils for this one. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Sid Shores and Jack Kirby are kind of the creative team for this book. So wouldn't they? Wouldn't you want them to be the creative team for the landmark issue as well yeah i just feel like um you know it, it works yeah I, I i love the art in the book um but it, it feels like if you have an opportunity to have more kirby and less embellishment you yeah. would take more kirby right and obviously right. any kirby is great but um you know <laughs> a different different era i guess yeah and i don't know how much say he got in that or what um, yeah, I have no idea. Interesting. I would be interested to know if anybody out there knows if there's any reading on that subject or not. If he got to call the shots uh, on this, how much he worked or if he like preferred certain titles over others. Very interesting stuff. Okay, the next issue here is number 101. 
uh, Captain America 101, When Wakes the Sleeper. This is the beginning of a brand new storyline. The Red Skull is back, and he's going to awaken a fourth sleeper. And this is something actually maybe we should have mentioned at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> In the last volume, he kept on sending these different sleepers, these big, giant, ancient beings or robots or whatever and uh, he would wake them all up and send them after the captain america or uh, to destroy the world basically but captain america would always thwart them so now this is a good setup if there's a four sleeper theoretically now there could be a fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and you could make this a storyline for like any time <laughs> you want it's like the, the landmark 400th issue could be like oh no red skull's back with another sleeper <laughs> Yeah, there's there's always another sleeper, and they're all they're all in different um, different egg timers, just ready to pop out there. That's right. <laughs> uh, but so he uh, he he has to go battle in a deep sea cavern. He battles the Red Skull over in a deep sea cavern over this sonic key that he's holding on the cover here that apparently controls the sleeper. So they uh, they're gonna they're gonna fight, and it's at the end of this issue where Nick Fury claims that Captain America has died. So that uh, well, we find out why he says what he does in, in the next issue. Uh, but if you look on this last page, this picture of uh, Jack Kirby again with more of the sketchy, uh, a, a much more sketchy uh, technique rather than the streamlined look of Joe Sinnott. Oh, the the Nick Fury, yeah, the Nick Fury, um, the Nick Fury drawing yeah, with the scruffy beard and the lines on his forehead head and all that yeah he looks a little uh a little more detailed and you kind of see he looks older i guess is the best way i would put it just yeah. kind of more weathered a little bit i like the look good one uh there is some fantastic visuals in this one of just the destruction there's so much destruction going on with the sleeper and and everything and just uh i really like the way that uh, the two of them uh, lay it out and and use color to their advantage. If you look at some of these these panels with the the bright reds to show the huge <clears throat> destruction, like it it stands out on the page, and you really don't need anything more than that. Uh, people, I mean, I, I don't know that that kind of a technique would work to the fullest effect these days with all the computer coloring that people are used to, but uh, it's it it's very striking when you look at it from the 1960s perspective. Yeah, I think page seventy-seven, the sixteenth page of the story, um, yeah, is is just amazing. It's it, it's I don't know a better word than epic that comes to mind, but um, I mean, just kind of the the sleeper the sleepers were one of my favorite parts of the first volume, um, and so I, I'm really glad they went back to it here. Um, even though this one is kind of I wouldn't say has less character, but um, you know, he he just kind of boils a little bit in this issue. Yeah. Um, you know, we see more of him, but yeah, there's there's some truly great destruction, especially like uh, page eighty with yeah the the earthquakes and and everything being destroyed there. That that one panel at the beginning, there's so much going on because not only do we see the destruction of the shore, like the of land, but we get the term the turmoil in the waves. We get mm -hmm. people in the foreground being rocked in their boat. We get the the explosion in the background in red shooting up into the sky. There's like there's actually tons going on in that one panel. That could easily be a full page. Yeah, that would it would be an amazing full page. I, I love the the cover on this one too. Um, you know, obviously the red skull in the foreground there, um, but the sleeper. I, I prefer his look on the cover here. 
figure and you know i i obviously they color things differently and draw things differently for the cover sometimes but um i i think the the shading there the coloring is just is just beautiful on on the sleeper yeah the colors the, the covers get a different coloring technique than the insides because the insides is colored with the, the four color printing process <laughs> so you have to use the flat colors but their covers they use some offset printing offset printing which allows gradients and such so you do get like the really nice shiny metallic yeah. color on him and then you see like also the highlights on on red skull's green uh jumper that he gets uh the, the yellow highlights and stuff the covers always look nicer that's for sure color wise at least now there's actually a bonus feature in this epic collection the original art for this cover and red skull's face looks different uh, and it says the note in it says that kirby had to redraw red skull's face for the comic code because they didn't want it to be so grotesque looking <laughs> and if you look at the the cover on the back like it looks like how kirby drew the red skull in the golden age you, you, are you familiar with those issues yeah kind of more of a lumpy um uh, melty kind of face yeah they, well they really play up the horrific skeleton face yeah and uh and you know and once he gets to the silver age here you know red skull doesn't have the teeth uh, the, the same sort of teeth or the same sort of look they they make him a little bit more cartoony looking yeah and that's how i mean in the last volume in volume one of the epic collection that's how kirby um drew him as well was kind of more cartoony i think we talked about that a little bit just the uh i, I never really was a fan of the way kirby drew the red skull um in in the silver age at least um i think he's i guess he's more intimidating to me when he doesn't have the the full white teeth and the you know, and obviously sometimes it's a mask, sometimes it's not. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't. You know, I, I guess he was just kind of flexing for the cover a little bit there, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, trying to get away with one. Oh well, too bad. At least we have the the original art in this collection to see yeah. what could have been. Good extra there. Shall we move on to 102? Sure, 102. Captain America 102 is called The Sleeper Strikes. And uh, Red Skull, without the key, heads to the Isle of the Exiles, which is quite the mouthful. <laughs> um, uh, Cap gets ambushed by some assassins, but is saved by Agent 13. Uh, and he ends up uh, fighting the destructive sleeper. Um, Cap begins to realize that Agent 13 love is... Uh, Agent 13's love is causing the, the key to destroy the sleeper. <laughs> Who programmed that? I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like the, the, the downfall to the sleeper is the fact that she loves Captain America too much. Like the, the, it's actually the fear. The fear of losing him is right. causing this, the, uh, the sleeper to be wounded and stagger backwards and eventually just kind of self-destruct yeah I, I mean when you're dealing with magical keys i guess anything can kind of happen <laughs> yeah. or I, I don't know if it's magic or tech or a little bit of both but um yeah it's uh it's it's an interesting end or an interesting way to get rid of the sleeper and in this you know the story continues on after this issue but uh, yeah your, your feeling for me your desperate fear that i would die triggered it off <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's just something that we have really seen to this point and I, I really appreciate it you don't really i mean they up until this point in captain america it's pretty much whoever punches the hardest wins the battle or whoever whoever gets blown up first loses so it's kind of a kind of a different take um involving agent 13 here we, we know obviously they're they're outpowered physically 
Now, I often wonder if, uh, because if you know the way that comics were made back then, Stan would have like a brief, a kind of a general idea of what he would want in the issue. And he'd write a couple paragraphs and send that to Kirby. And then it's Kirby's job or the artist's job to basically write the whole story and then make it fit in 20 pages and lay it out and break it down. And then Stan would go and say, and look at the pages and add the dialogue over top of it. Mm-hmm. So if you take out all of the dialogue on this page, it's page 101 which is the 19th page of this story here and if you just look at the pictures you have a picture of cap being beaten up by the sleeper in the top row and then you have in the second in the second row you have agent 13 looking for lorn and then you have a bright flash and then the sleeper it it kind of looks like you know he's having a heart attack or something maybe so Stan would be looking at just that and we I don't know if he's like asking Kirby what are you drawing here or if he's like uh oh man what is he doing I got to come up with a <laughs> with the words that go along <laughs> with this cuz I this is also toward the end of Jack Kirby's time at Marvel and I know that you know things go south between him and Stan and so are they talking to each other I know that uh it's often said that that Stanley and Steve Ditko were not on speaking terms by the end of of Ditko's time and and was that the same thing with Kirby? Uh, there are a few instances in this in these issues where I feel like Kirby was just drawing, and Stan had to kind of guess what Kirby was up to. Yeah, I think I think you could probably there's probably a hundred different ways to to write the dialogue um, using the Marvel method, and especially on this page here, um, her uh, Agent 13's face in that fourth panel could really it, it's obviously fearful. Um, you know, but I don't know if that, like you said, I don't know if that is a fear of losing Steve or just fear of the power she has in her hand or fear of the sleeper. It could be, could be any of those. It could be all of the above. So I think, I think the Marvel method works obviously overall um, and yields a lot of dynamic pages here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm conflicted on the end here. It, it works in one way and then it also kind of just feels a little, hokey in another well and you know there's also the silver age so you have to kind of forgive a few things there right yeah i I guess you're you're always reading with through those uh those hokey kind of lenses when you're looking at comics from this era anyways yeah uh, so in this issue, Captain America is outfitted with Stark tech. Uh, Stark Tony Stark is actually mentioned almost in every issue of this of this half of the book, but we never see him once. And he even is a main part of the plot of an upcoming issue, but we don't see him. And so he, Captain America gets all of these little gadgets uh, from Tony Stark kind of James Bond spy style, right? And one of them's in his glove and it's a thing that, you know, it allows his hand to fire a blast or something like that. Um, kind of a useless thing. He, he doesn't really need it, but he has it anyway. And I wonder if this is just the way for people who, I don't know if people who had a subscription to Tales of Suspense continued to get this book once it got split in two, but... Uh, if they, I wonder if, you know, Iron Man fans suddenly started getting Captain America issues and they were like, oh man, I like Iron Man better. So they're like, they mentioned Tony Stark in every issue to make him somewhat <laughs> a little bit relevant. We'll have to look at the, uh, the Iron Man issues and see if they did the same with, with, <laughs> with Captain, Captain America, America mentions. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. There's definitely some cool, cool tech in this one. I, I always love the little, um, the flying gizmos that, that Kirby does the little individual, uh, I, I want to call them go-karts or something 
hover troop yeah right. kind of things those those are always fun to look at um and then man that that uh splash page on page 92 of the book is just crazy i don't even it's hard to even it's wrap like, your head around it's like that one panel we were talking about in the last issue but this is the full mm-hmm. page version of it just no water but like there's as much going on in this panel as the last one there yeah i mean you've got the the little guys in the foreground and then uh, just uh, you know almost an atom bomb destroying who knows what and you know filling up the page What's cool about this one is, about this panel, is that uh, the flow of action makes your eye go down because you read that yellow box first, and then you read what these guys are saying at the bottom, but then the explosion brings your eye back up toward the top of the page. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you do this kind of a U shape, uh, and I think you most people do it subconsciously because you kind of take in the whole page all at once, but you generally speaking, you're going to read the, the boxes first and then and then take a step back and look at the whole page as, it's, as it now relates to what you've just read. So it's, it's kind of a really cool layout. What do you think of um, Agent 13's costume in this? It, it's kind of uh, kind of reminds me of like <laughs> yeah. a Hellcat costume yeah, or an X Men yeah, costume. Right. Yeah, it, uh, Hellcat. I don't know if I can't remember, but yeah, just the weird colors. It's a it's an odd combo um, because we have the yellow and the blue, but then we also have the green boots, which are kind of out of place. I don't know. I think that she's a secret agent, so she should be dressed like any other Shield agent <laughs> or something or undercover. So this kind of is not as conspicuous, inconspicuous as it should be. Yeah, I guess if you're standing next to Captain America, though, you kind of given up on uh, on being <laughs> being stealthy, but. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so what I I remember what I wanted to say here is one of the other things about the Marvel method is that in the last issue we said we saw that Captain America is dead. That's what Nick Fury tells Agent Thirteen. Captain America is dead, and then we get into this issue here, and uh, once we get into the action. On page 89, Sharon Carter just kind of, more Agent 13 just pops out of nowhere, and she just says, I forced the colonel to tell me the truth. My heart knew you were alive. I just knew it. Like, that whole plot was absolutely pointless. And that makes me think that Kirby, uh, like Jack, Jack Kirby didn't actually read the dialogue that Stan had put in the last <laughs> issue. And he just put Agent 13 in the action for this issue and Stan's like, oh man, whoops, <laughs> now I have to dialogue this to, to get us out of that jam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do kind of, they do kind of finagle their way around it. Like on page 84, uh, page two of the issue, you know, they say, we told her you were dead. It was the only way to keep her out of this until we finished the job. It just doesn't really make any sense why you would try and keep her out of it i mean yeah. um but yeah it's just and, and i love the I, I don't know if this was a way to kind of reset the action a little bit but i just love the the opening shot the cap or steve rogers in his in his robe here yeah. um just kind of reading the newspaper uh <laughs> getting giving everyone caught up and uh you know re- resetting before before moving on here it's because it, it's obviously you know i think this is what a four-part story here yeah. roughly um, but each issue can stand on its own, and there's there's a break point after each one. This is the only issue that I think doesn't start with a big fight between Captain America and random thugs. All the rest of them seem to, to just get us right into the action right at the beginning. <laughs> that's what he's good at. Actually, the next issue, it begins with dancing, so maybe that's... Oh, right, their, yeah. their date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, speaking of which, let's go on to issue number 103. This one is called The Weakest Link. Uh, and uh, Red Skull kidnaps Agent 13 and uses her as, as bait to lure Captain America to his base. And then he adds this strip of nuclear tape to the back of Captain America's neck that's remote detonated and uh, will make him, con- it'll control him and make him do whatever he wants him to do. Now, little did he know that when he kidnapped Agent 13, he could have just kidnapped Steve right then and there or taken care of him. <laughs> but, and I love that exchange with the, with the bad guy because he sends his thugs to do it. And he's like, there is this tall blonde guy that was in our way, um, but we, we don't worry, we still got her. And he was like, tall blonde escort, that, that was Steve Rogers himself. <laughs> Great, a little bit of comedy there, like, and we get to find out Sharon Carter's real name in this one. Yeah, um, it's it's the first first thing we uh, read here. Um, you know, kind of a nice little moment between the two before it, it gets ruined, but a little bit of a payoff um, to see them relaxing and enjoying each other's company instead of agonizing on whether they should be together or you know having one of them be be kidnapped for at least a few panels here. So yeah. Yeah, this was this was a good issue. I I, I liked um, a lot about it. I I'm not the biggest fan of the 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 cronies that Red Skull um, assembles here, the the generals and world leaders and everything. I kind of just you know wish it was just the Red Skull, but um, they yeah. they do a good job of uh, playing off of him. Well, and it's an interesting mix of characters too. There's some pretty bad racial stereotypes with the Asian character. Yeah. Um, but all of these guys in the Exiles, they are all um, enemies of America. So we have people that we have people that represent um, Germany, of course, and. Italy and Russia and China. They're all either the World War II villains or mm-hmm. the current kind of Cold War communist villains that America is fighting at this, this time. And so they're all kind of getting together with the Red Skull to take down, of course, the symbol of America. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you know, the stereotypes are bad when the, they're almost unrecognizable here. It's just kind of so cartoony on that level. And it's not just the, to the Chinese guy, but like the, the Russian stereotypes and... All of, yeah. all of these characters yeah. are, are very stereotyped. I, I think there's some really great moments in this issue. Um, mm-hmm. The Obviously, the big page here is the it's page 111 uh, with Cap underwater there. Yeah. Um, just such a great, great Kirby page. Uh, you know, great, great scene there. Is this one Sid Shores as well? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. Um, I, I think this is probably my favorite issue out of the little mini arc we have here. Just the way it starts with the date and then leading into the... Uh, the the cliffhanger at the end it's a great kind of a setup between because we got the we finished the sleeper Mm -hmm. and now we're moving on to the next to setting up the next focus which is still a red skull story but going in a little bit of a different direction and we can see that he had a backup plan in case the sleeper didn't work which it didn't I wrote down some notes about the nuclear tape as well. Just kind of the name stands out for sure. Um, The other thing I liked was the electronically controlled kelp. (laughs) Yeah, what's up with that? Looks like a bunch of toilet paper for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I kind of have a little uh, fear or paranoia of being uh, underwater like that. So it really, uh, you know, really was effective for me just kind of being trapped underwater like that. So. Um, not that I'd ever be in the situation, hopefully, but um, you know, I, it kind of plays to one of those those uh, primal fears. So. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And in the end of this issue, uh, 
Captain America escapes, and we find out that Red Skull allowed him to escape. Uh, check out this page on page number uh, 122, which is page 19 of this issue, and this fight between Captain America and Red Skull. Um, this, this panel, this page has five panels, and in three of them, you can't really see Captain America's face. And in two of in another two of them you can't see the red skull's face and this is something that i i don't know if i mentioned this in the last issue but kirby when he does his battles he will often obscure the faces of mm-hmm. the characters and i'm not sure why he does that but it's kind of a regular thing yeah like you said i think the only we do get a little red skull on the, the bottom left panel there the the fourth panel but yeah that third panel is really we see both their faces at the same time yeah and usually when you go to do a superhero battle you're going to put these characters in the most dynamic poses i mean these poses are still dynamic but you want to show off the 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 costume you want to show off the faces you want to show off the power and and but Kirby kind of fights against that uh, that technique and that you know that expectation I guess and you'll see it time and time again especially through these pages all these battles they'll have like these big white um, bursts of light obscuring their faces or or something like that like it always happens so you can keep an eye I wonder if that. that if that's part of Kirby's uh, Marvel method um, his own aspect of it in terms of just maybe giving Stan the flexibility to fill in whatever kind of exposition exposition or dialogue he wants, you know, kind of giving him a blank canvas in terms of their expressions. Oh, that's interesting. That's a that's a very interesting thought. Just just guessing there. I don't I don't know obviously, but No, but I, that's a good possibility because when you can't see their faces, you the the dialogue could determine whether they are injured or or you know, in the winning position or whatever. Like it mm. yeah, it could go either way. Interesting. You kind of uh, like we were talking about the last issue with Sharon's face. You kind of paint yourself into a corner when you have really, really strong expressions on their faces in terms of the the dialogue. So, yeah. yep. so issue one hundred four is called the Slave of the Skull, uh, and uh, Red Skull is gloating to Captain America. He can't help himself, uh, informing him of the nuclear tape that's causing him such pain, <laughs> which also happens to be tied to a bomb. Um, Returning to Exile Island and uh, and the Skull's chief of staff, Steve ends up fighting them one at a time and triumphs. Okay, so this issue is embellished. Actually, it just says add a dash of Dan Adkins inker. <laughs> so this is this one I feel is I think is just inked, but you can definitely feel a difference in the style. And I think let's see if you can go to page one. Much blockier. Go to page one twenty nine. Yes, blockier, yes, because I think that Sid Shores did round out Kirby's drawings a little bit. And but look at this, like take a take a step back, try and take in the whole page, uh, and look at how much black, look how much black is on this page. It's not much. And then flip back to any of the the Sid Shores pages and look at how much black is on those ones. Sid hmm. Shores uses a lot more blocky shadows and blocky. Um, yeah, just uh, he he fills in a lot more of the the undertones of the of the artwork. So if you look at Red Skull's face, for instance, like there's barely any shadow on on the face. Yeah, a lot of the clothing as well. You can really see, you know, if you flip to one thirty and one thirty one, um, you can see kind of every fold and wrinkle in the clothing. Uh, whereas, yeah, if Sid Shores would probably have 
blacked out a lot of the legs and the yeah. arms as well. So it's interesting to see uh, this the different techniques there. Yeah, we get a really cool splash page uh, with all of the different exiles. And what my favorite of these exiles is Cadavis Monarch of the Murder Chair. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a, a bizarre character. He's got, I assume he's disabled and has to sit in this chair. It moves around for him. He pushes buttons and there's like lasers in it and it flies around and stuff. It's just <laughs> quite a quite a funny thing. But then there's these other guys, like one, one guy has... Uh, an iron hand they call him the mm -hmm. butcher of bavaria which i'm pretty sure is an actual person i think uh, like in history but i can't remember and then another guy a russian guy called krushki and his thing is he crushes people so his name is krushki <laughs> And these guys all, they all pop up later in Captain America. I think, I know, I know for sure um, Iron Hand does uh, in, in some later issues here. Um, I think in the, in this book too, right? Well, the yeah. cover, they're on the cover of this book with Falcon. Mm -hmm. So we'll see them in the Falcon issues. In the Falcon. I know, I, I'm trying to remember the exact issue, but I, I know there was one um, in Brubaker's run where we get um, Iron Hand at least yeah. um, back in, back in the 2010s which feels long ago now, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good way to kind of get a little piece of dialogue for, for each of these guys. And uh, you know, they're all obviously referring to each other by their names. Um, so we, we can learn who they are. And which country and, uh, they represent. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which country, which stereotype they represent here. Um, I, I do wonder what uh Cadavis, he wants to be the first to attack. I wonder what his, his his method of attack here looks like that he's all hyped up for because um, he gets <laughs> is this the one where he gets uh destroyed yep yep pretty quickly yeah. on page 141 this one guy with a scarf trips up captain america <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah the scarf guy. and then he's like oh well, i can see again and he takes out the chair the murder chair pretty quickly because he's only got like the little two he's got like the little button that shoots the little two uh laser beams or whatever you want to call them but yeah. there's a there's a lot going on on that chair there kind of like a uh metron um from the the new gods kind of looking right chair a little bit oh that's interesting yeah i didn't make that connection i wonder if uh something that he borrowed for for later on yeah i think i mean yeah i mean kirby tends to copy himself a lot um and so i wonder if he said oh i remember remember doing that in captain america <laughs> Get a, a deadly flying chair here. Yeah. And then Captain America f waves the flag at the very end of this issue. He's the hero for America. He's defeated all the communists. It's a great last page. I, I think it's just a beautiful, um, beautifully colored and beautifully drawn. And uh, you, you get Sharon taking off the, the nuclear tape finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and Captain America making a little speech there at the end, as as he does. Yep. It's a great resolution to the, the longer story arc here. Yeah, and then we get to move into something that's kind of completely different. Captain America number 105, In the Name of Batrock. Uh, Dan Adkins is, again, our embellisher here. and Oh, he's credited as embellisher here. And I think I like this one better than the last issue. There was something off about the last issue in terms of just the way his inking worked, but it looks a lot better in this one. This one is is extremely bright and clean looking to me. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of missteps or uh, 
or rushed art that I could find. And I, like I said, I don't have the best eye for, for art or for the technical process, certainly, but every page on here looks pretty pristine to me. Yeah. And if you take a look at like what I was saying about the blacks, um, he adds more to it. I just think he looked like he has more time. He had more time to work on this issue than he had the last one or something. Uh, but yeah, we, especially this double page spread that's in the second page here, uh, we start off this issue in a flashback in World War II. And this is going to be important for the next few issues that, he, that Captain America is remembering his time with Bucky. Uh, and it's not even a flashback. It turns out to be um, footage from a, an old a newsreel that they're <clears> going <throat> to make into a movie. Check out this, this uh, splash page. You could probably tell in the actual issue, but it's actually two separate pages. If you, if you pull apart the gutter, you can see that there's a border down the, the center. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and I I, I appreciate them having the foresight uh, 60, 50, 60 years ago to do it that way, so we don't lose anything in, in the gutters here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they knew it would be collected like this one day, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they knew they that we'd be podcasting about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this issue, there's a seismobomb hidden somewhere in the city, and Cap Captain America is tasked to find the bomb. Apparently, there's going to be three minor Earth quakes like little little shakes before it goes off the before the big one goes off and destroys the whole city but batrock has enlisted the help of the swordsman and the living laser so that they can find the bomb first now there is a, some weird storytelling in this one because captain america goes looking for the bomb and then also these three villains go looking for the bomb and to the point where they're like they're 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 in a warehouse and they're like overturning crates and trying to find it and then Captain America pressures the la the living laser to tell him where the it is, and he says, "Go go look in that manhole cover over there. It's over there." <laughs> like what? How did you know that? And apparently that's exactly where it was. And then in the next page, Batrock is heading right for the manhole cover as if he knows exactly where it is too. I was like that. That doesn't jive with what we we just read a couple pages earlier. Yeah, they they're kind of just fighting their way to get to that manhole all along. For some reason, they're taking the the difficult way. Um, and I, I I do like how Captain America sort of appeals to um, to I don't know how much reason and logic the living laser has, but um, whatever he has, he he's convinced by Captain America to to tell him where it is. So. Um, you know, kind of a different different tact that uh, that Steve is able to take there. Yeah. Now, the color swordsman blue in this issue, and typically he is kind of a a more purple, purpley mm -hmm. blue. Like he's not purple like Hawkeye is purple, but he's definitely more on the purple side than than the blue side. And so I thought kind of a it, lavender color. Yeah. So I was in, it was interesting to see here, and I don't know if the I, I'm assuming that the original issue colored them like that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have used that the, that color here. But I wonder if it was to make him stand out more against Batrock, who was also purple. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you've got two kind of mustachioed villains here, and you need to differentiate them a little bit. And they both have orange accents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, coloring swordsman blue would definitely set them apart. Now, do you did you know know that uh, Marvel had a and and DC Marvel and DC both kind of had a color theory way back in the in the '60s where they would color all of their heroes in primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, and then all of the villains would be secondary colors like green and orange 
orange and purple. Yeah, yeah. I think you especially see that um, on the Spider-Man villains, right? Yeah, exactly. And the same thing is here. Like, if you look at Living Laser, is green and orange. Batroc is orange and purple. And Swordsman is supposed to be orange and purple as well, but they've got him blue, which actually sort of clashes with Captain America because Captain America is blue. So, like, they, they usually try and uh, make, make them stand out a little bit more apart from the heroes. But for whatever reason, he's blue in this one. It's um, it's a good it's a good one off issue, I think. Um, and I, I always like Batrock. I think he's uh, just kind of a fun. I, I guess he's a villain. I would probably call him, uh, you know, a mild sort of villain, just a mercenary, I guess. Um, yeah. But I, I, I always enjoy his appearances in Captain America, and then um, in the movies as well. I think I think they did a good job bringing him to uh, to the screen. Yeah, they did a really good job. I especially liked his his, his role in, even though it was small, his role in the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV series. I thought it was nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of a, you know, they, they they at least get the purple jacket on him and, yeah. and the accent. That's those are the most important parts, I guess. This issue opens up with the the double page spread, like I mentioned about Cap- Captain America and Bucky fighting in World War II, and Captain America is obviously really distraught by seeing this. And this is some of the PTSD that I was mentioning before. And you have to wonder, these guys, like, it's for them, this happened 20 years ago. But for Captain America, it was like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And they keep on opening these wounds and don't realize how much it's affecting uh, Steve Rogers. Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, obviously he's a tough guy and everything. And they're kind of, uh, they're kind of insensitive in a yeah. way, like you, like you were saying. I mean, they're saying, oh, too bad, too bad the kid didn't make it. Yeah. Exactly. It's very blunt. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's easy to, to be like that when you're just seeing it on the screen here. But yeah, it's it's going to be brought up a lot. And I think, I think is it the third volume of the Epic Collection where we, is that the one entitled The Return of Bucky? Yep. Um, or whatever. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, obviously even up through Brubaker's run um, with the Winter Soldier stuff, it's, it's, it's a mainstay of Captain America for sure. Yeah, it is. Okay. 106. Uh, yeah, Captain America 106 is called Cap Goes Wild, and Captain America in this one uh, fails to prevent some commandos, I think they're called, from stealing a uh, a life model decoy file for something called Operation Replica. What could that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Who could say? Yeah, I, I think this is interesting issue. Um, the, the commandos are not my favorite design, I guess. Um we get some more stereotypes in this issue, yep. for sure, with uh, with an actual appearance by Chairman Mao. Yeah, uh, right, right on page one seventy four. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I I'm I'm not the most qualified person to be speaking on this. I don't think it's necessarily a disrespectful um, portrayal of Chairman Mao. No, but I don't think the, it is. The henchmen, um, like the henchmen on the first page. Yeah. Yeah. With the big, he Kirby draws him with the big buck teeth and such. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not as great. Uh, but yeah, Chairman Mao actually looks like he's instantly recognizable. They don't play up the stereotypes on the caricature. And he had been, um, he had been in, in uh, an issue of Thor, I believe, um, before this. And kind of, I feel like that's it's more I, Captain America's wheelhouse, I guess, to have these political figures. Certainly yeah. in the Golden Age with Hitler and you know fighting Nazis, but. Uh, communism here in the Cold War was was a hot button issue, uh, like we we saw at the little speech at the end of the the prior issue, um, or the one before that. 
And so I think I think you're kind of seeing that transition of you know Nazis being a 20 year old, 25 um, year old villain at this point going into into something more modern for readers. Yeah, well, I think that's very telling when the the team that he's put that Red Skull put together is called the Exiles. Like mm-hmm. that's they're they're old. They've been they're they're washed up. Uh, they're not the threat that they are anymore. And so now, yeah, we're moving on to to the the red countries like Russia and China. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time we see a kind of decoy Captain America in the comics here? Uh, maybe we had a yeah. brain controlled one, right? In the last, in the last epic collection. Right. And so it's, there's some good, uh, good fight scenes here of Captain America fighting himself, so to speak. I thought that the cover was, it was not great. Like it's kind of a classic Kirby kind of a cover really playing with perspective and playing with the anatomy and such, but I couldn't tell that that was Steve Rogers on the cover. No, no. I think... I think the hair is a little too orange. Uh, That's part of it, yep. Yeah, and you don't his, his face is kind of obscured here. It's not really clear that it's supposed to be himself. I my first thought was uh like uh Kamandi from from DC Comics almost <laughs> kind of that that wild boy look. Yeah, I was going to say Kazar. Mhm. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and the shield, I, I don't really care for the way the shield looks either. It almost looks uh, floppy in a way, just kind of like it's bent in the middle, sort of. Just different different kind of perspective on this well, one. And it's not sitting on Captain America's arm at the right spot, because it should be right. either buckled to his forearm. Like his, his, his hand is right in the middle of the shield, which I don't think is where it's supposed to be. But anyway, that's, uh, this, this whole issue was inked by Frank Giacoya, and there is a very, very big difference in the way that Frank inks because he uses very, very thick lines. So if you go over to, let's say, page uh, 181 and look at this picture of the fake Steve Rogers mm-hmm. and look at how thick, like there's a thick black l- outline on the top of his hair and on, along his shoulders and all of these black, uh, like it's very, very Kirby. I think he's following Kirby's uh, pencils quite accurately because... All of this shading is very, very Kirby type shading, but Dan uses a very, or sorry, Frank uses a very thick brush. Uh, go over to page 187, which is the last page of this issue, and look at the the TV guy. Um, just the outline in the fourth panel of his of his clothes. Very, <laughs> very thick black lines there. It's, it's all through this issue, which gives it a very dark look. Everything looks a lot more maybe muddy a little bit. I think especially on the decoy cap too, it's it's really used to good effect. Um, just the yeah, oh, the I'm not muscles, saying it's bad. Yeah. His mu- yeah, yeah, his muscles and and his face there, like you pointed out, it, it's all that extra weight and ink on him really makes him look more intimidating and um, kind of makes him look a little scarier than than Cap does. This was an interesting story for me. I, I actually really liked it because it uh, uh, the, the the there's a movie mogul and he um, he he has captured or sorry. He's decided to uh, take the, the 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 Chinese government up on an offer to use his movie studio for their nefarious plot with Captain America, this fake Captain America, in order to 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 gain money for an operation that his brother needs. And we see his brother in this issue. And at the end of the issue, spoiler alert, the brother ends up 
uh, ends up dying helping Captain America. And uh, and so the movie guy, he committed treason all for nothing because now his brother is dead. Um, so I thought that was a nice kind of a twist because I think the expectations we have with seeing movie tycoons is that they're selfish, they're greedy, you know, that kind of thing. But this guy was actually trying to do it for a noble purpose. Yeah, and yeah, he kind of has a little realization or change of heart there at the end. Um, He's still kind of stereotypical or cartoonish, I guess, just kind of the, the greedy... He has the look. The, the he's got the look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he, he's got the look. Um, but, you know, for, for a good cause, I guess. I was also kind of mad at S.H.I.E.L.D. in this one because they purposely sent Cap in there to defeat this LMD that they actually knew the Chinese... Like, they let the Chinese government build the LMD because they wanted to make them test the experimental tech so that they wouldn't <laughs> have to be accountable for the damage it could possibly cause. It's like... Man, that doesn't seem like Shield, or does it seem like Shield? Maybe it does seem like Shield, but it was a bad move. And who is this this weird guy with the cigarette and the top and the you know the fancy hat? Uh, he appeared in the last issue, and he's in this issue too. And um, or or did he appear in the last issue? I can't remember now. Uh, which guy are you talking about? This this guy who shows up at the end, the Shield agent in this issue. Oh right. Uh, he just kind of pops out of nowhere. It's not Nick Fury, where every other issue it would have been Nick Fury, but we don't get a name for this guy. He just appears in this issue, and then and then he disappears. Or I think he's in the next issue as well. Uh, but he has no real purpose except for giving Cap his orders. But why isn't it Nick Fury? Yeah, yeah, they could have. Yeah, it could have easily been him. And just what does he call himself? One of Fury's fanatics. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> the uh, another thing I thought was interesting was the the fake movie costumes on page 177 and the the sci-fi set and props and everything yeah it reminded me of the did you ever see that movie argo um oh no i didn't with with ben affleck they uh so it's based on a real story and jack kirby um drew the concept art so they were they were faking making a movie uh to get some of the these uh americans that were stuck in iran and so the CIA commissioned Jack Kirby to make some fake sci-fi movie art as part of their cover story for this huh. fake movie. Um, and so the the girl on page 177 in panel two there um, just really kind of reminded me of that. And you can see some of that art online if you just Google, you know, Argo Kirby art, it'll yeah. pop up. But uh, yeah, there's there's some some similarities there, um, and uh, it, it makes me makes me want to see one of these movies, one of these fake movies, either from this this issue or from from Argo. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Okay, so let's keep on going over here to issue number 107, If the Past Not Be Dead. And we're back with Sid Shores. Captain America is getting treated for nightmares and hallucinations. He's starting to see a psychiatrist named Dr. Faustus. We've mentioned him earlier in this episode. Dr. Faustus is giving Cap some medication to help him, but it ends up being, it ends up that it's actually the cause of uh, the hallucinations. And, uh, And this is actually, I thought this was a really great issue I liked the mystery and kind of the the descent into madness. And I love the Mission Impossible twist at the end <laughs> where he takes off, Captain America takes off the mask he's wearing. But I think the whole thing would have been more effective if we didn't know that Dr. Faustus was behind the whole thing from the very beginning. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, he's. I think if he was played as a, a standard therapist, um, it would fit with what we've been seeing Cap go through to try and get some help. And uh, but yeah, he's he's pretty much a straight cartoony victim or a villain from right after he uh, hangs up the phone with Captain America. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even if we didn't know that we, he was the one behind it, we would still know because of, you know, the tropes of storytelling. We'd be like, oh yeah, that guy's a bad guy. But I still think that being kept in the dark is a better storytelling than laying it all out like they did in this one. So, But still, I still enjoy this one a lot. I thought it was good. I like Sid Shore's details. Like he, he puts a lot of detail into like the old man Captain America face and uh-huh. a lot of the expressions and such just got that sketchy uh, a lot more sketchy kind of detail that we have seen in the previous issues but yeah there's yeah. there's some pretty um scary imagery in this one uh you know you've got bucky on page 191 page three of the story um yeah you know screaming at cap saying it was your fault you've got um like you said old cap his face um and then there's you know just the the concept like we talked about earlier of what they call it a nightmare pill they were they were giving every night um or nightmare tablet you know the the psychological aspect of it versus captain america fighting someone with his fists is is interesting i mean he does fight the shield plastoid number 427 you know just because (laughs) we have to have some action here um have you read any of uh rick remender's um captain america run from a few years ago no no, I haven't. There's um, spoilers if anyone hasn't read it, but uh, he, he loses the the super soldier serum and um, and ends up turning into to an old man essentially. Yeah. And so there's kind of some kind of some interesting callbacks um, from that run right. to to this era. I think there's some some good sci-fi um, sci-fi stuff in that run. I think the most harrowing scene here is when Captain America is on the couch and he's being held down. He thinks he's in prison. He's being held down by the Nazi guards and they like start shooting him. But it's all just fake. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing you were saying before is like this guy is completely exploiting the PTSD that, that Steve Rogers suffers from and like really, really taking it to the extreme. Like he's pinned down by Nazi soldiers and he's being shot by them is like how bad can you get? And then they pull out Bucky and they bring Bucky back. They trick try to trick him into thinking that he's that he's still alive. Yeah, I, I think it's just it's just a great way to um, to get to Cap. I mean, you see the, the terrifying face there on page one ninety eight of the the soldier shooting him. Yeah. It's a great page. The whole page I love. Yeah, and then just right after that, he's just he's totally defeated. I mean, he looks... We haven't really seen him look tired and, and haggard like that before. I mean, his, his suit's all ragged and his tie is loose. And he just looks like he's... Um, looks like a different person almost. But this issue also really sets up what's going to happen in the next uh, in the next half of this book with the this Jim Steranko issues. Uh, we we as readers, I think, really need to know how affected Steve is by Bucky's death in order to move forward into the into this next chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. As as we which, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Yeah, Steranko is is obviously very good at sort of the the trippy mind game stuff. So it'll be it'll be fun to talk about those. Definitely, yeah. Okay, issue number 108 is called In the Snares of the Trapster. 
And we're going to get uh, another appearance from a B-level villain <laughs> named, he used to be called Pacepot Pete, but he's now going by the name The Trapster. And he, the Trapster has kidnapped Sharon to try and get some information about something called Project Fireball. And uh, Captain America finds out uh, from the that weird shield agent that just kind of pops out of nowhere uh, from the last issue. Uh, and um, he, so he's on the rampage. He's going to find Sharon. And that's kind of what we're he, what what this whole issue is uh, he comes to the trapster's lair and it's a it's a series of death traps and so this is a classic comic book sort of setup where the hero has to get through a whole bunch of traps in order to get to the to get to his goal yeah it's it's a very like you said classic kind of very comic book even even right up to the very end um with with the quote unquote twist ending of the the life model decoy of sharon um yeah it, it was all kind of a kind of a setup for her to um you know to what i i use tony stark's another mention of tony stark i use tony stark's chemical tubes to dilute the trapster's pace supply yep um and and then i guess at that point it's all supposed to click for you and you're supposed to say oh that all those traps you know it made sense it now so um not not my favorite issue what do you think not my favorite issue either i also think that uh captain america had a complete change of heart in regards to sharing so one, one thing that we haven't talked about is that in the past few issues captain america has decided that he doesn't want to have anything to do with sharon anymore because he doesn't want to lose her like he lost bucky mm -hmm. so he's constantly like no 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 I, I can't call her no 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 i can't meet with her i can't go see her i'm not going to do that but in this issue um even before he gets the the word that sharon is in trouble he's like uh what does he say maybe i'd like a life of my own and a time of my own time to find the one girl in the world who means something to me and he's like i'm gonna go talk to sharon so it's like kind of wishy-washy here but yeah I, the trapster's never a, an interesting villain either so that's not i, I we have a, a few things not working for us here it really did feel like kind of a filler issue compared to the yeah. epic stories we've been getting yeah it's um it's fine. I think there's there's some great moments in it individually, but um, as a story, I think if if you're worried about the overarching plot here and kind of the the things we've been talking about, I think this one is relatively skippable. Um, yeah. But there there are is some good art. I mean, I think I think Kirby and and Sid Shores do as good of a job as they can trying to make the trapster menacing on page 215 there in, in the full page um, panel. But, right. and, and I, I don't know, I just, there's something about Sharon or the life model decoy being glued there. That's not really that exciting to me. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> kind of like, Oh, okay. She's stuck in a pile of white glue. So that's the thing is that this is a villain whose weapon is just glue. And you could say that that <laughs> Spider-Man is the same way, but for some reason, mm -hmm. Spider-Man's way cooler. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If if your if your biggest threat is paste, I, I just you know, and then and that's they always they always lean into that in the Fantastic yeah. Four when he's paste poppy, like he, he's Definitely. always kind of a joke a little bit, but um, it's it's a bit much for the whole issue. You can only you can only read paste so many times before it kind of loses its uh, <laughs> effectiveness. There, that's right. Uh, okay, the final issue we're going to talk about today is Captain America number 109. This one right on the title says, The Origin of Captain America. And I, I love this cover of him bursting through mm -hmm. the newspaper. It's kind of like ripped from the headlines. This is this is new and exciting. And, uh, and so we are going to learn about him. This whole issue takes place in 1944. And, uh, and there's a little bit of a wrap-up at the end where we find out why this story is being told. But... Uh, 
this is a very interesting because we've seen Captain America's origin story a few times now. Uh, it was told, of course, in the Golden Age, and it was told right at the beginning of, uh, uh, or not right at the beginning, but in one of the issues in the other volume. So this is kind of maybe, I think, the third time we're getting an origin story, and it's a little bit different. One of the biggest differences is that I think in the Golden Age, Captain America was injected with a serum, and in the last volume, he drank a vial of, of the serum. But in this one, he's bombarded with, they call it, Vita Rays. And that's what turns him into Captain America. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm glad they have this in here. Um, just and and this is Kirby's last issue as the regular pencil penciler yeah. for. I think there's one more at 112 he does, but um, which we we'll talk about next week. But until he comes back on the book in the uh, in the 70s. But it's a nice kind of send off for Kirby, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to see uh, another another take at it, even though. I feel like we've seen it quite a few times already um, between this this epic volume and the first one. Yeah. They also changed the name of Dr. Erskine, who is the guy who created the formula. They call him Dr. Reinstein in this one. Mm -hmm. So again, this is another issue that's setting up the importance of Bucky because we find out about how he met Cap and find out about their camaraderie. And then with this last page here, uh, bringing us back into the present, and we find out this is, um, Steve has, has been telling Nick Fury about his past. It just kind of tells the story again about how much Bucky is important to Captain America. All of this, this whole first half, I think is leading up to what's going to happen in the next issue. Yeah, I mean, they, like you said, it's the ending where he, the, they kind of bookend it with uh, him telling it to Fury in the modern day. He, he says, uh, he tells Steve, you know, I'd go out and have a few laughs. And, uh, and Steve says, well, I don't really know how to. So, you know, like we've seen with Dr. Faust's issue, he's he's obviously struggling with this. And I'm pretty sure they weren't calling it PTSD, um, no. as you were saying back then. But whatever, whatever they were calling it back then, he's uh, he's dealing with it still. Um, and I think I'm 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 like I was saying, I'm really glad that Kirby took another crack at this, um, just to kind of get some of those those moments uh, moments down. Um, I especially like the skinny Steve parts where he's just. Yeah you know, kind of, kind of, uh, tiny and, uh, and getting checked out. That, that was always my favorite part of the, the origin. I think that's something that's new to this part as well. I don't think, cause in the other origins, I think they just, um, they, we are introduced to Steve because he enters the room where he's about to get the super soldier serum. We don't see anything of Steve before that. I think this is the first mm -hmm. time when we actually see that he tries to enlist for the army and they reject him because he's just not strong enough, which isn't important a very important part to his origin but not something that that was in the original story yeah he kind of gives a little mini speech um you know saying how he hates war and senseless bloodshed but he he can't stay behind uh he he wants to go out there and and fight and support his his friends and the country and just wants to do anything and so i i think like in the in the first captain america movie or the first marvel cinematic universe one they they did a good job showing all that um showing all of his attempts to just do anything, you know, to volunteer. And that's really the yeah, core of his character. Definitely. My favorite panel is on page 236. It's page six of this issue here, where we get this superimposed Steve mm -hmm. Rogers face with the memories in the background. It's a very, very cool setup. And it's also used as a bridge uh, from the past to bring us from the past into the present. 
Yeah, I think um, there, there's just some some really great moments in this, and that's one of them. I, I, that that almost you can, we'll talk about Starenko next week, obviously, but that's um, I, I have to imagine he was influenced by that kind of Kirby art. You know, obviously Kirby was a great influence, but to see them in back-to-back issues like this, the the overlays and the transparency is just really cool. I would like to think that Jack was also influenced by Starenko because this is not something that he usually does. This overlay is not <clears> a typical Kirby move. We haven't seen it all in this book, and so, but it is something that Starenko would do. I was thinking the only the only time I remember it um, in the issues we talked about today were was the sleeper underground, and it, it looked way hokier in those that transparency effect, where it just oh, kind of yeah. like they colored the sleeper brown to show that he was underground. Well, and that way even had served a different purpose. Like they were using yep. they were they're using the panel as a cutaway to see underground, but this one is like to to try and visualize memories, but also as the transition between the two timelines. Like it's 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 very effective. The other thing I really like about this is the colors because you have the memories in the very vivid reds and yellows, and then the present day uh, in the blues and purples to show that this is it's quiet in that apartment where, <clears throat> but but Steve is remembering the the incredibly loud war visually i just love it i think it's great um yeah i think i think it's a good i think you picked a good stopping point here too just in terms of um and and i'm sure marvel did as well um with the transition here to the Starenko issues because it is quite a change um visually and stylistically and i think i think we're kind of kind of been leading up to that point the whole time here uh, in a lot of ways. And this is a good kind of transition issue to that. Yep, definitely. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, because I actually, I haven't read these Strenko issues before. So I- Oh, really? Yeah, I'm really excited to read these. I'm really looking forward, because I've flipped through this book so many times like, oh man, I just want to read, because but I know we're going to talk about it, so I don't want to read it yet. And <laughs> it's like, oh, very, very looking forward to it. And then knowing that Ramita comes after that and Gene <clears throat> Colon, like there's there's some really cool stuff coming up here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's it's definitely a packed book. I think I think this one, and obviously the title of the book mentions the Falcon, which we will see next week. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot to like in this book. Um, and I think... If I had to recommend between this one and the first Epic Collection, this one might might be a little better overall, just in oh, terms of so. the, the consistency so far. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll save my judgment till after I read the second half of this book. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, so far I'm liking it a whole lot more than the short form storytelling they were doing before. So yeah, getting that room to breathe really, uh, really makes a big difference. Perfect. Well, let's uh, wait until next week when we can talk about the second half of this book. And uh, I hope everybody out there listening uh, is able to read along with us and is enjoying our conversation so far. Uh, thanks, Drew, for being a part of this episode. It's been a while since we've you've been on the podcast, so it was great to have you back. Oh, thanks, Curtis. Anytime. So, uh, yeah, everybody, I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>